Hi everyone, this is Working Title, the podcast where we, four intrepid, handsome, intelligent, and entirely fraudulent reviewers, watch and review IMDb's top 250 English language movies as of November 2019, going from bottom to top. So watch along with us, and... Some people call it a movie. Mm, I call it a film. Alright, anyway... How do I introduce the podcast? I've already forgotten. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that works. <laughs> All right. So this week's movie is Sling Blade, the uh, 1996 Billy Bob Thornton movie. I mean, I call this movie Kaiser Blade. Some folks call it Sling Blade, but I call it Kaiser Blade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a 1996 American drama film uh, written and directed by Billy Bob Thornton, who also stars in the lead role. Is it plagiarism if I read that straight off of Wikipedia? Um, anyway, it's set in rural Arkansas. And uh, before we get too far into discussing it in detail, why don't we introduce ourselves? I'll start us off. Um, my name's Jack. Uh, my acting talent is strongly inspired by that of Adam Driver. And by that, I mean, if anyone tries to play these podcasts in front of me, I storm out of the room. <laughs> June, do you want to tell us about yourself? He does do that, actually. <laughs> uh, he did Spot that. on. By the time we publish this, it will no longer be topical, but it did happen. <laughs> well, I'm June. Uh, one of my hobbies is to hang out the passenger side of my best friend's ride trying to holler at girls. <laughs> Mm. I never make it. Shane, what's your stance on scrubs? <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't want them. Oh, yeah. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself, Shane? Hi, I'm Shane, and uh, I've started a foundation to give Dogs with Giotti your podcast. <laughs> uh, I didn't make it through that one. Do I have a, <laughs> do I have a pitch for you? <laughs> and just, my... I want to just bring awareness to Dogs with Giardia. <laughs> You know, I am already extremely aware. <laughs> you know, my dog said Jardia four times. <laughs> Mike, oh, fuck. do you want to tell us who you are before we get too off the rails? I'm Mike, and I love movies that have small town exposition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. So before we get into this, Sling Blade, uh, according to IMDb, is number 244 on the top 250 best movies. Um, we're going to tell you whether we think it's really that good, or perhaps maybe it should be better. Now, before we dive into this, Mike, do you want to tell us what this movie's about? This is the story of a man named Carl and his journey in learning how to stand up to the mental hospital's uh, biggest bully. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually not wrong. <laughs> All right, so... This is uh, this is actually a movie uh, about a man named Carl, who is a mentally handicapped man uh, imprisoned for the murder of his mother and uh, a, a another man named Jesse, and uh, his release back into the world. He's being indoctrinated or not indoctrinated. He's being uh, <clears throat> reintegrated back into society and his journey, going from his twenty five years locked up in prison back into society. Yeah, it's uh, hard to say much more than that. Um, I, I as we start out, I want to I want to mention that 
So the intro to this movie, uh, the opening scene is the day Carl is about to be released. And he's interviewed by uh, two high school girls, something like that. They're they're writing something for like a, a school newspaper. And there was a part of me that was legitimately concerned that this entire movie would be just them interviewing him. Oh, like retellings from the interview type thing. Yeah. Like a remembering. That's how yeah. I thought it was going to be. Uh, With no flashbacks, just in that one room. <laughs> yeah, no, like <laughs> just him monologuing. The I was, <laughs> I was literally concerned this would be some kind of weird artsy indie film where uh, this guy like recounts how he killed his mother just in a giant monologue, and they weren't allowed to ask him questions. So I was afraid it would just be Billy Bob Thornton for two and a half hours. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> it's literally a one act. <laughs> yeah, a one, a two hour and thirty minute one act. I also had concerns about the opening, but for a different reason. Oh, God. I, what is I it? Don't, I mean, I don't know how your guys' uh, high school newspapers were, but, uh, you know, last I checked, they didn't really frequent, you know, mental hospitals to interview convicted murderers. Yeah, speak for yourself. My high school won a Pulitzer. A, con- a convicted murderer being reintegrated into society. Uh, the prices of school lunches are too high. <laughs> well, like... And Will the football the, team win this year? The, the <laughs> doctors are all worried too. They're like, uh, don't ask him questions. Don't turn the light on too fast. But yeah, we can leave this high schooler alone with the lights off. <laughs> I also like how they said he's showing no signs of a serial killer anymore, but we have to have the room really dark. One lamp turned on. Don't ask any questions. He'll be very <laughs> upset. Right. By the way, he's, uh, he will be living among you in the next day. <laughs> So we're not going to keep track of them at all. They even like say that she's like, are you guys going to keep track of them? Well, as much as anybody else. Oh, you know, yeah. we'll keep up with them on Facebook. Wait, that doesn't oh. exist now. Oh. Open uh, the door, push him out. There you go. Have fun. I also want to point out that they said, okay, don't ask him questions. Just let him talk. And then they ask him one question and it's, are you going to murder anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> I would also like to point out as as this is my thing. Anytime there is a single take long shot, four minutes opening scene of this one. Oh, and, with uh, a monologue from the uh, serial yeah. killer. So this one's impressive because it's not like a a technical filming like achievement, if you will. It was like more on that the actor. Um, mm-hmm. He's got like the one guy, the another guy in the mental hospital just rambles on about creepy shit yeah. and uh, he drags the chair across the room yeah, <laughs> For yeah two I, minutes. I mean that actor did a pretty good job i think there's some stellar monologues in this i will say like uh, on that note shane i know like some of your recurring complaints in movies was fast talking and not being to understand people <laughs> how, how are you during the sling blade um I'm going to start off with this right now. I didn't know this movie was a low-key comedy. Um, I didn't know either. Just, I, I, I will I, bring it up later. I, I still don't know. <laughs> I'm just going to say, remember the scene with the family squabble. And you tell me you didn't start laughing your ass off. But Which I family squabble? Not, I could tell you right now, I've n- I never laughed my ass off during this whole movie. Really? I laughed like five times in this movie like i thought it was like napoleon dynamite truthfully (laughs) stay tuned to see how much of shane's recording i cut out in editing (laughs) 
I'm, I'm actually... going to say, if if you thought this movie had anything in common with Napoleon Dynamite, <laughs> are you kidding? I, I have no idea what to say. Are, are you kidding me? I don't think they meant it to be funny, but some of these things were just so. I don't know, man. But All right. okay, at first, Billy Bob's uh, acting in it. I think it was good. I just wasn't prepared for it. If that makes any sense, I don't. I don't know. I I think like as an actor, it's pretty. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait which part were you not not prepared for specifically? What you said? Which part were what? you not prepared for specifically? His just the the character Carl. I don't know. I I just think it's because it's like hard to portray a handicap in a way. Like that's a tough task as an actor. That's yeah. how you did a bad job. It's just hard to do it in a way that you totally buy it. I can name a couple others that did a good job. I mean, yeah, Rain Man. Rain Man <laughs> I thought was pretty good, but I just think it's challenging. And it I don't know. Um anyway, so the uh the beginning of this movie once once Frank or sorry, let me start over. Once Carl leaves the uh the mental hospital and is uh reintegrated back into society, he immediately discovers that he does not know where to go or what to do with himself. Um, going back into the doctor, not really telling him where to go or what to do with himself. Uh, but he meets a kid named Frank, and this is the portion that I like to call uh, Carl makes a friend. So in this portion of the movie, Carl meets this kid named Frank who is taking his laundry home from a laundromat, and Carl helps Frank carry the laundry to his house, where Frank uh, starts to talk with Carl. Or sorry, yeah, Frank starts to talk with Carl, finds out a little bit about him, and they start to become friends. Um, it's important to keep in mind that Frank is a, I think a 12 year old kid at this point. He's a young boy. Um, and he tells Carl that Carl can come back anytime to play ball with him. Right. And this kid is, I think Carl admits to him at this time that he has murdered his mother. Yes. And that's, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause this goes into a, a recurrent theme in the movie where, Carl tells people that he's a murderer and shows no regret or any kind of remorse. And everybody's just like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> oh, that is this whole movie. These people are not afraid of anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very forgiving. So on that note, I could say this because I've been a transplant to the American Southeast for the last five years. This story would only work in the South. Oh, yeah. I was like, thinking that, too. Imagine if this was like set in Portland or some shit. Like it just it just wouldn't work, especially in 1996 Portland. That was a um, different place. It was a different time. On the note of Frank, did anybody else pick up what else we've seen him in? I thought he was the kid from Shameless, but apparently he's not. Um, he, I looked this up, but he was remember. the main character in one of the greatest movies of all time, The Fast and the Furious: Tokyo Drift. No, that was him. Oh my god, I knew I recognized him. This Tokyo movie Drift. is incredible. I didn't know he was a child actor. He was in Jarhead, too. Yeah, whatever that movie was. We're talking yeah. about Tokyo Drift, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Not some obscure bullshit movie. God. Solid actor. I like, he was a good... He did a good job. A little weird that this kid is... Apparently has friends, I guess. But is okay with just hanging out with crazy murderers. Yeah, just like come live in my garage, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah, I believe that he has some some lack of father issues. Mm. Yeah, that was well, that was after uh, after Carl talks about his murders. Um, his rebuttal 
to uh, to Carl Frank's rebuttal to Carl is that his father died by being hit by a train, which which really confused me. Uh, how do you how do you hit by a train? <laughs> I mean, easy. You just stand in the railroad tracks and yeah, <laughs> you know, you'd be very surprised. So, I mean, I I think that's funny. Um, I also thought this movie was a low key comedy too. So, <laughs> we'll take my comedic chops into question here. Mike, you wanna you wanna actually take us up to where he uh, he kind of settles down? Uh, sure. Yeah. So the the next portion of this movie up until where he settles down, I assume it's where you're referring to the first stay where he first starts to work, or are you talking about when he goes to the family? Yeah, the the first part. Okay. So the first the, when he starts staying at the job. Uh, lawnmower shop. Yeah. Okay. So the second portion of this film, I like to call Carl gets a job. Um, so Carl <laughs> is now introduced to the doc's friend, uh, who is the only person in town that is willing to put up Carl with his with his sketchy past. And uh, it's this it's this man named uh, Billy Cox who works at a uh, lawnmower rep- repair shop in this in this little town, and gives Carl uh, not only a job but a place to sleep, and also um, gets him on his feet with a little bit of money and allows Carl to work on lawnmowers at his shop. Carl grew up working on them, and apparently is this genius when it comes to small uh engines and works for billy cox this is a a, a going back to the same theme at the beginning where nobody you know thinks of carl as a murderer he he stands in the doorway not saying a word staring at the wall and they're like i don't think he's a murderer he's like no he doesn't seem like he hurt anybody (laughs) everyone is way too comfortable with this guy i don't get it people people ask him and they say well would you murder anyone or would you kill so-and-so or like you know i want you to promise me you won't hurt frank and his mom and he just kind of sits there with this silence i reckon i won't yeah it's like i i reckon i don't have a reason to (laughs) (laughs) right like who what if you had a reason (laughs) who who is comfortable with that answer if only this movie would provide a reason later on I I agree with you, but for the for the first part in the lawnmower shop, I, that one I can kind of let slide because you know he gets the blessing of the what, what is he like a hospital manager yeah, or whatever, the, right? And they're yeah. like two guys, and they're they're a little iffy, but they're like, okay, you can live in the back, and we'll lock you in at night. Yeah. <laughs> so the other uh, the other character, the one of the employees at the shop, his name is Scooter, right? scooter was a character in himself he is perpetually covered in grease thank you i was like how is he always dirty and he goes home fix anything he goes home goes to bed wakes up in the morning moisturizes with some 10w30 and comes into work (laughs) that's the sign of a true mechanic (laughs) is the sign of a true mechanic also that you can't fix anything mechanical (laughs) because that explains a lot well i mean half the battle is just covering yourself in oil right you can't start until you've done that he's going off the philosophy fake it till you make it (laughs) that's why carl's so good is because he doesn't oil himself up before he fixes something oh that brings me to something did you guys get the joke that they told yeah i i didn't get it so it has to do with <laughs> two men in a river, one man. Right, wait, wait, wait. Before we before we just say the, the explain the joke, somebody has to retell the joke. <clears throat> no, okay. So this is setting up. Uh, it it was actually one of the the moments I did enjoy about this movie. Um, so in the shop, Carl overhears Scooter and the owner. I forget his name. 
telling a joke and he says there's two guys fishing off a off a bridge right like a, a train bridge so high up one's from california one's from arkansas and uh the or no they're, they're pissing off a bridge that's what it was <laughs> that's probably how people get hit by trains in this town <laughs> <laughs> oh my god this writing is so much tighter than i thought originally <laughs> everyone's just pissing on train tracks <laughs> So they're they're on this bridge, and one of them uh, says, "Well, this water's pretty cold." And the Arkansas boy says, "Yeah, and it's deep too." The implication being that the California boy has a long phallus that reaches the water enough to tell that it's cold. However, the Arkansas local boy has a phallus with a length adequate to plumb the depth of the river. Oh. <laughs> I would have never gotten that. That was very well worded, Jack. <laughs> and uh huh. Carl Carl didn't get it either. It sets up this funny moment where uh what's her name? Linda, I no. think. Yeah, when he yeah. tells the joke. Linda's a, a little distressed or upset about something, and uh so he tries to cheer her up, so he tries to tell her a joke, but he totally missed the point. So he just says something along the line of two boys are on a bridge, mom says it's cold. The other says it's deep. I reckon one of them were from Arkansas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I liked his telling better. <laughs> I I did too. All right. Well, so I guess as Mike said, he he works in this lawnmower shop for. I mean, these guys are pretty. Like I like those two characters because I think they made the most sense to me. Like they were just good people, which apparently were not. I don't know. I liked Scooter and the guy. I liked the uh, the scenes in the lawnmower shop. Yeah, they were they were pleasant characters. Except they, when they, they lock him in at night. <laughs> I mean, they 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 did end up giving him a key, and that's true. Yeah, um, they they were good characters, and they did feel a little more believable. I don't know. Um, I didn't feel like I had an issue with any of the characters feeling either, you know, unbelievable or larger than life or dumb for plot per- okay maybe they sometimes are a little dumb for plot oh, we did we did forget to mention that for 15 minutes he walks around the town it's just him walking around staring at a location and then yeah, he walks and some more <laughs> i want to pull the group so initially he walks around um with a stack of books he has from the hospital kind of lashed together with a belt you know like the look you see it all the time but has anyone ever actually successfully done that like those books are perfectly balanced just I feel like, like I've seen some hipsters in college walking around with that. I was more concerned about the fact that a person from a mental hospital had a belt. A <laughs> <laughs> convicted murderer. <laughs> I don't even like you have shoelaces. <laughs> All right, let's, let's, let's talk a little more about what happens after that and after he kind of moves in with the, um, the Wheatleys. Uh, so this next portion is called Carl Gets Adopted. <laughs> <laughs> so after uh, after Carl starts working for Bill Cox and earns a little bit of money, he goes and meets with Frank at his house to, uh, I, I guess, do a play date, uh, go play ball or something. And uh, Frank takes Carl to meet his mother, Linda, and uh, her manager, Vaughn, at work. Uh, Vaughn's a friend of Linda's. They're kind of, uh, I guess, best friends. Um, Vaughn is a homosexual, and it's made very apparent, very, very. Uh, you know, Mike, you can you can just say he's gay. Sure, he's gay. But <laughs> anyway, so 
Carl meets uh, Linda and Vaughn, and they are they invite Linda invites Carl to come and live with them in their in their garage. It's really quick and a little sudden, but Carl agrees and moves in with Frank and his family, uh, where he is introduced to Linda's current boyfriend, Doyle. Oh boy. Oh Doyle. Oh, he is my favorite character in this movie, hands down. Why? <laughs> okay, I'm I'm just gonna put this as straightforward as I can. Oh but <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you, Shane? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna the band he brings in. I Hold mean, on, we're not there yet. The, Don't get ahead of yourself. I'm just saying he. I laughed so many times when he was on scene. I I just I couldn't. He's an awful person. Terrible. But oh, I'm, I'm glad God, you realized that. Damn it, was he funny. <laughs> Everyone's so quiet. It's fucking... <laughs> <laughs> it's because if we don't cut this out, I feel like this will be, like, subpoenaed and be, like, evidence at some kind of trial for you later. I, I wish you all watched it the way I did, because I was laughing. It- this next portion I like to call Carl Gets Adopted. Carl decides to go meet with Frank at his house and Frank tells Carl that he wants to introduce him to his mom, Linda, who works at the local Coochie's dollar store uh, with their store manager, Vaughn. So Carl or Frank takes Carl to meet Linda and Linda uh, decides to invite Carl to come and live with them in their family home and stay in their garage. Um, At this point, Carl's introduced to Linda's boyfriend, Doyle. Better or worse? Oh, you weren't the issue. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, why, why don't we carry it a little, a little forward? Kind of talk about what happens in the house because I think there's a lot to. Sure. So, there. this next part is the raging party that ends up happening later that night, where at dinner Doyle decides that he wants to throw a house party and uh, calls up his buddies who are, are part of his band who show up to uh, put on a concert for. Linda, Carl, Frank, and Vaughn in their backyard um, and proceed to get very intoxicated. And uh, we have a little bit of domestic violence that ends up coming from it all. Okay, when you frame it like that, it doesn't sound as funny as the scene is. (laughs) So, yeah, Doyle is the stereotypical abusive boyfriend, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he's kind of manipulative, too. He's like the opposite end of the the spectrum, whereas everybody we've met so far is way too accepting of uh, Carl. Doyle is like way too against it. Doesn't he say he can't eat around midgets or something like that? Like he's yeah. like, I can't eat around him. You know that? And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> there's a lot of of political correctness in this movie. So I I do want to say that I do not endorse Shane's viewpoint that this is a comedy. <clears throat> However, <laughs> there are some comic relief moments that I thought were a riot. Um, so he has all these people over in kind of a his band, right? And they're just jamming out on the yard until a neighbor <laughs> tells them to shut up. And then they go inside and two of his bandmates are arguing about oh, yeah. one guy's like the, the tunesmith and the other guy's the lyrics guy and they're just like talking shit and one's like, well, I, we haven't even ever sang a song with lyrics. We don't even have a microphone. <laughs> I thought this shit was hilarious. That whole band was so funny because like they were just randomly inserted in this movie and I did not expect that. I thought a house party, I was like, oh boy, all the good old boys are coming over. 
know, it's a legit band that yeah. thinks they're poetic and are trying to make it. Like. <laughs> so um, when Doyle kicks them out, he says pretty much, you know, in, in fewer word or in more words, says they all suck and they're all terrible and get the fuck out of his house. But I want to point out that um, I did a little bit of sleuthing. And so the, the guy with the beard, who's uh, I think the, the tunesmith of the group, right? <laughs> Actually was a drummer with uh, Bob Dylan, Trini Lopez, and was a founding member of the first edition with Kenny Rogers. Wow. Hmm. Jesus. So wow. I thought that was hilarious that that guy was like a total just dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like a legit, legit musician. That's huh. funny. I, I guess I can see how, how, you know, this scene was definitely like comic relief because when, when Doyle in a drunken rage freaks out for no reason and kicks everybody out, they're all just like so sad. Oh, this ain't right, Doyle. You're an yeah. asshole. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, get out, you fucking buzzard. <laughs> One at a time as they're leaving, they get to say something to Doyle and Doyle stands there and, and takes it. You got problems, man. After he slams the wheelchair guy into the door. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so so Doyle loses his shit and starts kicking everybody out. Um, and Linda and Frank, they come running out of the room and Linda's yelling at Doyle to get out because he's drunk and he needs to sober up. Uh, Doyle ends up assaulting Linda and, and Frank just comes into his own and he just kicks the shit out of Doyle with beer bottles and cans. He's just like hucking him at his head while he's on the ground. Um, and Doyle's just like taking it, and, and after like Doyle's just like, oh geez, all right, fuck, like, all right, <laughs> I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go. <laughs> I started to cry laughing when he goes, all right, all right, I'll leave. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> the way he says "fuck me" sounded like the actor who was getting pelted with things. He's like, fuck, yeah. I'm doing. Like, fuck me. <laughs> then he's all yeah. big and bad after he gets his ass kicked by Frank. He like stands up and he's like. He's like, do you ever fucking touch me again? I'll fucking kill you. I'm going to go now. And just like, but I also love you. Fuck me. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely noted that town too, man. Frank's a little badass. Yeah. That dude's going to play in the major leagues as a pitcher. What I did like about this scene, though, from like a technical standpoint, is Carl the whole time is just staring straight ahead. All this craziness is happening around him. And I feel like it's framed in a way that you're supposed to kind of see it how Carl is. You're just sitting there. Like the frame doesn't move. Everything's still. And all this craziness is happening in front of you. And it just doesn't mm-hmm. move. It stays right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I kind of like that. You just feel like you're Carl in the room. Just like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then after, well, speaking of Carl is after everybody leaves, Linda's in the kitchen, I guess, cooling off. And that's when Carl walks in and... <laughs> Asked Linda to make him biscuits. Um, <laughs> I know you just went through a tough time. Make me some biscuits. And also tells her that he's a murderer. And oh. Linda takes it as, really? Well, okay. And then continues to make biscuits. I thought that was going to be the point of the movie where, you know, like the big twist. Like them coming to accept him. But no, they just go right past it. He's like, I killed my mom. She's like, well, would you do it now? No, I don't reckon. Okay. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you want some mustard on those biscuits? I, she totally takes the I killed my mother. Like, well, would you kill again? I'll kill for some biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just thought when he admitted, like, that was going to be the the elephant in the room. You know what I mean? Like, when is he going to tell him? But no, 
that was that was not the issue. No one seems to be upset. <laughs> so, I, feel like, I feel like mustard on your biscuits is a sign of a serial killer. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there was a I think there was a lot of like the this collection of scenes uh, during this part. I think I thought it was very powerful because well, I personally reckon that Carl <laughs> is very coherent and and self-aware. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's represented as somebody that is not high functioning, but I I think he's a lot more coherent than than we give him credit for cuz and and he realizes that people are going to judge him based on that, right? So he openly comes out and says it. It's like, "Well, there you know, there's no sense in keeping this from you like i better tell you this i think he fully expects to be to be cast out and it just kind of doesn't happen so that kind of brings me to an issue i had with the movie where he's supposed to be someone that is very mentally handicapped and like can't function which he plays his character like that but the script kind of makes him intelligent in a way see that's my that's my point yeah i'm with I'm with June on this one. I don't think that was an accident or a, a you know a mess up in the story. I think that was the point: is that we as the viewers, like the film, does a good job of playing on the prejudices of the viewer, right? Because right? at first you're very skeptical, like this psychopath is going to go out in the you know into the world and he he can't function in society. But then you know by the end of this, you're really rooting for him. And even in the beginning, before he's released, uh, he tells the the doctor, like, I guess I'll have to get used to people looking at me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm with June on this one. I think one of the strongest points of the movie is how it um, portrays characters in a kind of a true-to-life way without kind of uh, stooping to stereotypes. And I think you're right, June, that he, uh, it's not, I mean, so mental, mentally handicapped is kind of a, a broad brush to paint with, but it's not necessarily that he's not smart because, you know, it, it's clear he's like good with engines. He He's capable of thinking about things. He, he definitely has like some kind of, uh, you know, social dysfunction in a lot of ways. Um, and it, it seems to me like uh, he is kind of locked in himself more than he's... Um, incapable right if that makes sense yeah i think i think that's i'm I'm also on board with you guys i think billy bob thorne decided to uh, make a movie about how mentally handicapped people are more intelligent than southerners um (laughs) 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 oh Oh my god Oh, that is the line of this podcast oh my god and on that bombshell (laughs) <laughs> i mean i i thought there were a lot of uh the characters had layers right and they they were relatable um like doyle to shane's point of him being funny i felt like doyle was one of those people that were an asshole because in some ways at, at times they were because they thought they were being funny and were using the humor as a way to kind of a shield to hide behind when they're just being a dick well i um, like doyle because like He's obviously an awful person. Like he's manipulative, he's controlling, he's everything. But you can see like when he's drunk, like there's moments where like he kind of self-reflects a little bit. But and you just time- you just sound like a big old Linda. 
Yeah, so this... this... <laughs> no, I'm just saying that none of these characters are stereotypical or anything. This Ted Bundy guy, like, I know he's a bad guy, but he went to law school. Like, he's he's pretty sharp, and you got to acknowledge <laughs> that. Like, He did own his own construction company. There, he's an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> and see, I, so I think that's kind of like the anti-Carl, because... For all intents and purposes, Doyle is not mentally handicapped. But he's actually he, pretty sharp. He manipulates he, people. Yeah, but he belongs in, you know, he needs help. Like, Oh, yeah. You know, um, person. to continue our, our trend of accidental clarity, I think there's maybe a little even more truth to that in that Doyle is kind of an anti-Carl in that um, Carl is not, I wouldn't say he's sharp by any means. And he sometimes lacks a bit of awareness, but he's also very considerate and considers others. Whereas Doyle is, seems like he's really sharp. He's, as much as I hate to admit it, Shane's right. He is kind of witty. He can, he can like whip jokes out real quick, but he's also just a terrible person and thinks only of himself. All so those two. jokes are, are other people's expenses. Like the, the Vaughn, you know, being a, a gay person is constantly being bashed on for being gay. Carl's being called retarded the entire movie. Um, it's just all of his jokes are just horrible. Right. He's insecure. Yeah. So he's putting everyone down around him. Yeah. So he's a, uh, those two were kind of counterpoints in a lot of ways. I like that. I didn't think about that during it. I actually enjoyed talking about this movie more than I enjoyed watching the movie. Oh yeah. Like if you think these things that these good things I'm saying about it mean I'm going to recommend watching this, like don't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've we've got tied up. What's what's after the uh the house party? So after this horrible this scene or display of uh domestic abuse and violence, um uh, this next portion is called Cara goes on a date. <laughs> 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 I want so, to see Mike's script for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should see my scribbles. They're great. Uh, I'm so just Carl, imagining the intro from Always Sunny after you give each of these names. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Carl is introduced to Linda's co-worker, uh, Melinda. And uh, she is a also a mentally uh, handicapper, slow person in this town. Um, and they are set up to kind of have a double date at... Vaughn's house with Vaughn's boyfriend. So it's Linda, Frank, Carl, Melinda, Vaughn, and and his boyfriend. And uh, it, I think it goes well. Like Carl seems to enjoy himself. He goes on a little walk. Uh, Melinda shows up the next day with some flowers, and they kind of they hit it off pretty well. And then we never see Melinda again. <laughs> <laughs> well put. <laughs> I thought the beginning of this scene was so fucked up because Linda is like, oh, hey, I work with this other person who is slow. You probably would like her. Right. What? And she, she also specifies, she's like, she's kind of fat, too. Uh, she, <laughs> yeah. She's heavy, but she's pretty in the face. And it turns uh, out that, like, while Carl is slow, he's not mean ever. You know what I mean? Like, you never see Carl be openly mean to people. Melinda, they're like, yeah, she can be a little mean. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Let me set you up with this mean, slow, big person. <laughs> what the fuck moment about all this was when they start playing the the romantic music? Like it's it's like five minutes of them playing this really weird music while Carl and M Melinda are kind of having this courtship dance. Well, and oh, like, okay, Wait, I, I want to pause on this. 
this soundtrack was so fucking weird. Oh god. <laughs> there was there was no goddamn point where any of this was appropriate. Um nothing fit the tone. Everything was <laughs> fucking weird musically. Like it straight up was the room levels of soundtrack. It has some weird choices that you're like, what? And not even like interesting choices. It's just like bizarre. The music is definitely one of them. <laughs> yeah. So just for context, the song that plays uh, while they go on their walk and while they have their, their little mini courtship, it feels like a love song you would hear on the radio in 1996, which just, does not fit the tone of the movie. <laughs> but this is not this is not even the most egregious of music choices. We'll get to that, but I think we missed a little bit of a, a point here during his like revelation uh maybe maybe we aren't to it yet, but the uh the story of what happened to Carl in his childhood. Mm. Oh, so that's that's I'm glad you bring that up. That's the next portion and it's called okay. Carl's Dark Past. Okay. So we go from we go from yeah. Carl goes on a date to Carl's dark past. We're oh, not going to talk boy. about Carl gets a brother. Is that not what we're calling Carl it? Jesus. Carl, Carl, Carl had a brother. So if I could just sum this up real quick and move on past it. We, we, we watch Carl and Frank have this discussion of this, this horrible story that Carl uh, went through as a young kid where his father brought him a bloody rag with his premature born little brother and is told to throw it away and and carl tells frank this entire story and meanwhile frank is just really letting carl have it just tearing him down about what horrible person he is oh yeah like what does he say to him so he's like, he's like he calls him he's like i wouldn't have done that i would have made sure he lived how could you do that it was your brother <laughs> yeah, yeah so there's there's layers of fuck in this scene so I just want to run through them real quick. So um, first of all, so Carl, when he's given this like a premature, it's like a backyard, like back alley abortion or something. And they give him this baby. I'm not even joking. That's not, that is not. No, yeah, that's pretty spot on. Um, they give him this baby and a towel and it's still alive at the time. So he's like, well, I didn't know how to kill it. So I just, buried it and he's like I, I was a kid it, like I, I couldn't have killed it and then also in this scene Frank tells Carl that his father didn't actually you know get hit by a train he killed himself with a gun and uh, Carl I think also in the scene makes some comment that says people who commit suicide in the Bible it says they go to hell and Frank just shoots back and not in like a mean way just like observationally just says that well says that people who murder others go to hell too. <laughs> Carl just like, reckon you're right. Mm -hmm. I know, this is Carl realizing he's fucked. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know, I think this plays into to Carl's character um, pretty well. Because like, you know, if you do an at-home at home abortion and hand a bloody towel to a child and tell him to get rid of it, that's gonna fuck you up permanently. Oh yeah, yeah. You but know. as good as Carl could possibly be in this point, instead of getting rid of it, he places it in in he said a shoebox, I think, mm -hmm. and and gave it a burial, 
Yeah. Like as best he could manage. Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, it you know it's still fucked up, but at at the same time, you know, for a child. Yeah, they said they said he was like six or eight. Yeah. Yes. I'm not trying to suggest that Carl is fucked up for this, just that it's an extremely fucked up situation. I do feel like with this, like, it's awful. Like, and it, it really shows you how bad child, like Carl's life was. But I feel like there's a little bit of piling on writing wise. Cause like they already introduced that he had slept in a shed in a hole. Yeah. Like his parents didn't want him. And that, the one tormentor in his life was also having sex with his mom. So he murdered his mom. That's enough to have why Carl has such a dark past, but they go, Oh, by the way, he's also had a premature brother that he had to bury alive in the back. Like it just keeps piling. I think that's cause and effect. Like, yeah, I, I would say burying his, you know, unborn, whatever brother, uh, caused him to eventually grow to murder, his mother and her lover. So it's, well, I think we should take a a second because we haven't um, really recapped this, but the reason he murdered his mother and her lover is that as a, as a child, he walked in on uh, them having sex and he was under the impression that his mother was being raped. So he killed the guy having sex with her, but it was totally consensual. He was just her guy on the side. And he then and like seeing red, as he says, kills his mother too for it. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's important to note because it, it, he kind of has a sense of justice and, you know, in that case, he, he substantially misjudged the situation. And of course, like it, it totally is murdered. Like I'm not trying to justify it, but it, it sets up this conflict with uh, Doyle in like it's pretty obviously some kind of like triggering situation for him where it, it, it becomes pretty obvious that living in this house with Doyle and uh, Linda is just a powder keg. Yeah. This town is apparently a powder keg. Like, cause he's in the town he grew up in. Apparently it's just full of shitty people. <laughs> yeah. When someone from a town of 200 or whatever, murders someone goes to the state mental hospital, gets released I don't know if it's really best practice to just send them straight back to the town. <laughs> I think it, it, it also mentions that when he killed his mother and her, his mother's lover, he was only 12 years old. Yeah. Jesus. Wait, then how old was Jesse? Because it was his schoolmate. I think he just, he, he never specified what year it was to him. He just said that he knew him and was picked on him or was picked on by him. Um, uh, yeah. According to Wikipedia, also a teenager, but I suspect to some degree older. I would hope so. Or that I would mean, just make this town even worse. <laughs> I mean, this is this is Arkansas, dude. <laughs> uh, okay. this, this, this whole movie has just been a, a roller coaster of, of happiness and then horrible sadness. And it, as this movie continues on, it starts to get worse and better and worse. And it's just this dramatic increase up and down. Uh, real quick. So in the next couple of scenes that go by really fast, we have this, uh, we have uh, where Carl went on the date and then Carl then goes and tells this horrific story to Frank. And then right after that, it goes into Carl goes and plays uh, football with Frank where they're just like out there having a great time. And immediately after that, we find out that Linda has now taken Doyle back 
So Doyle's back mm -hmm. in the house because Linda is just a terrible person and has like really bad judgment, just abused by this Doyle guy. And Doyle sets it up that he is now moving in and he's going to be around more. And he kicks Carl out of the house and he tells Frank that he's now, uh, you know, going to have to listen to, to Doyle and do what he says or else he'll, you know, kill him again or kick his ass. Um, yeah. Implied consequences, not specific ones. Right. And he has threatened that he would kill Linda if she ever left him. Yeah. Right. And, and then Carl goes and sees his father and it's just, it's really flying at this point. A lot of things are happening and Carl goes, confronts his own father. Well, who's Robert Duvall, by the way. Yeah. So Carl confronts his father. And uh, as Carl's leaving, I'm pretty sure that Robert Duvall did not know what was happening because he kind of sits up in his chair and looks around like he's confused. Yeah. You see where Carl gets it from. Mm, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but when he came in, it looked like there was like a, uh, what's it, like a Roundup can or something, like places full of booze, and it looked like this guy had been huffing paint or something. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I think uh, I think that was the implication. Just off his tits? <laughs> yeah, well, he was he was rambling to no one in particular. Um, kind of. Uh, yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. I think he was just stoned. I mean, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> this is the portion where June doesn't care about the movie anymore, and he goes June. away to to microwave some food. Yeah. So <laughs> I want to I want to make a point too, in that I think it. You know, you say Linda was you know kind of dumb and just sticking with this guy, but and in a sense she was dumb because she's just like, oh yeah, I got a murder in my garage, whatever. Um, but I think it was also a a fairly real portrayal of abuse in that. There was a throwaway line when their neighbor is telling them to shut up and they'll file a noise complaint um, when their band is playing and uh, Doyle drops that he plays cards with like the sheriff. So you know, yeah. the, the law is on my side. He's threatened to kill Linda if she ever leaves him. And then there's a line too where um, Linda tries to tell um, Frank to just do your best to stay out of his way. Like, She's she just seems like she's stuck. Yeah, and she also like they said like the Frank is like she she hates being lonely or something. She yeah. apparently has very poor taste in men, but <laughs> well, I mean, as we've seen here, that Doyle can apparently convince people that he's funny and witty and charming. So presumably, uh, Linda fell for him in the same way Shane did. And yeah, he definitely. Uh... How do I put this? He he's able to use his like manipulative ability, like probably the most effectively on Linda. Because before this conversation, he you know he makes sure that Linda leaves before he confronts Frank and and Carl and uh -huh. threatens them. So he's definitely like after the after the party, he acts very differently when Linda's there. I don't think he acts. Actually, you know what? I'll wait till you cover the next part. I'm gonna. Yeah, let's let's I'm go forward a little that. bit. Okay. So this next section, this next section is called Carl gets baptized. <laughs> okay. Is this what you were gonna talk about, June? Oh boy, I we're like on this we're, part. we're on the uphill climb right here. Um, so Carl wakes up Linda and Doyle in their sleep, and he's standing in their doorway holding a hammer, and they look over at him, and they're just like. Carl, what do you want? What's going on? Are you okay, buddy? And he's like, 
I want to get baptized. And they're like, okay, why do you have a hammer? And he's like, I woke up with it. And it just like leaves the room. <laughs> it's so true. No so reaction they, from them. And the next scene, he's just, he's getting baptized. He actually goes and gets baptized. Um, I guess he's trying to come to terms with his past. Uh, and then um, that's kind of all it hits on that entire part. I think Doyle even says a line like, we can't have a fucking guy in the house that walks around with a goddamn hammer at night. And I'm like, <laughs> Doyle makes the most sense. Out of everyone. Um, I, I think maybe I, I want to say that scene with the hammer is why Doyle kicks him out. Um, though I also oh, definitely. wanted to say that this guy has one outfit and he gets baptized in it. Dude gets dunked, comes back. <laughs> I was watching a scene. I'm like, what's he going to get baptized in? Like he's worn the same set of clothes the entire time. And he gets just dunked in those and uh, comes back just wrapped in a towel, wearing his gray shirt and gray pants. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think I messed up the plot a little bit. I think you, Jack, you're right. That is why uh, Doyle ends up kicking Carl out afterwards. I'd said he'd already been kicked out before yeah. Carl went and saw his father. He hadn't been kicked out yet. So this is where the moment is where, uh, Doyle kicks out Carl and Carl then goes and talks with Frank in the woods and Frank kind of convinces Carl to do something. Doesn't really tell Carl that he wants Doyle dead, but hints at Carl doing something, being stronger and older than Doyle. Um, Carl tells Frank to go to Vaughn's afterwards, stops by Vaughn's, tells Vaughn to go by and pick up Linda that night and take care of Frank and Linda. Um, and that's when the the last section of this movie occurs, which is uh, what I like to call Carl goes killing. <laughs> there goes Carl killing again. <laughs> so, uh, actually, we haven't really touched on Vaughn all that yeah, much. He's kind of an important person too. Yeah, I think that's another another character um, that plays on. I, I I guess more so than, uh, but the prejudices of the viewer. Um, he's able to relate to to Carl as being somebody that's that's persecuted yeah and, as an outcast right as like a pariah yeah and he's he's really you know he's a weak character but he has all the all the best intentions right he's a sweet person and are you referring to the scene where they're in the diner and Vaughn's trying to kind of ask Carl that figure out what Carl's intentions are yeah so at first you know you think he's like I gotta get this guy away from Linda and 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 uh, Frank, but as he you know gets to know Carl, he he kind of you know spills his heart to every, to to Carl. I think and, I think it's actually I I just I I got a different impression from that scene. I felt like Vaughn uh, trying to relate to Carl was actually Vaughn showing prejudice towards somebody like Carl. He even says at some point, you know, I have my thing, which is apparent, and you have your affliction, whatever that is. And I felt like kind of Vaughn was kind of being an asshole to Carl and all that. Well, I got it as Vaughn was relating to Carl. Like he feels Carl's bad. Pain. I think he was t- kind of tiptoeing around it and maybe wasn't really familiar with how to approach, again, him him being a weak character. But I definitely see like... It comes off is someone who's doesn't realize how they sound. But I think that makes it a better scene. Yeah. And when you say he's a weak character, June, I assume you mean like, he's not like a poorly written character, just that he's a, not like a, a powerful correct force. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really liked Vaughn in that 
he also felt like a, a really real person the same way that, you know, Carl didn't stoop to cheap tropes or cheap uh, stereotypes. And it felt like Vaughn didn't either. Um, especially in 1996, right? Like it was not like the same level of, you know, acceptance for, for gay people that we kind of come to expect in 2020. So I think he was interesting and I felt like the angle he ended up taking that conversation in the diner was, um, I don't recall if he knew Carl was a murderer at that point. Did he tell him in that scene? No, I don't think so. Um, he just said, would you ever hurt Linda? Or did he? I think yeah, I, no, no, he, he didn't know yet. He also said that something along the lines of living with Linda and Doyle would be challenging. Yeah. That's to say the least. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it seemed like he was kind of alluding to this situation where given uh, Carl's issues with his, his childhood and parents and upbringing kind of alluded to the, the conflict to come. Yeah. That's what, and that's where I see like he was looking out for Carl by yeah. warning him about Doyle. And yeah. I, I again will defend this by saying I thought that Vaughn was going to kind of be the bad guy, like another obstacle for Carl to overcome when he took him mm-hmm. to that diner. Um, but that's where it kind of flipped the script on me. I'm like, wow, that you know, this guy legitimately is you know looking out for him. I also want to say another really funny point in this movie was when uh, Vaughn did it a couple times where he, he says like. I don't know how to put this, so I'm just going to come out and say it and put it on the table. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> how do I say this? <laughs> <laughs> it just felt really real. Um, so, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about Carl Goes A-Killin' and the, and the soundtrack therein. <laughs> well, after we have the dramatic scenes of Carl walking away from Frank and Frank calling out after him, Carl! And then Carl turns around and looks at him and walks away. We have the same scene with uh, Vaughn at his door where Carl's walking away and he goes, Carl, as he's walking away, but he keeps walking. We get in the last section of this movie where Carl, Carl goes killing. Um, it starts with Carl in a shed, sharpening a lawnmower blade. And uh, I mean, you can all tell where it's going to go from here. He then goes to Doyle's where Doyle is apparently passed out on the couch, but wakes up as Carl walks in and holding this blade in his hand, Doyle, starts chatting with Carl and Carl sits down, asks him, how would you get a hold of the police? And Doyle tells him, well, I guess you use the phone. And Carl said, what number would you dial? And he says, nine one one. And at that point, Carl tells Doyle that he's going to kill him. Doyle still doesn't believe him. Carl stands up and, and hacks him with the lawnmower blade. Uh, after he swings twice, he walks into the kitchen, calls the police, tells him that he's just murdered Doyle. And then eat some biscuits and mustard until the police arrive. Yeah, that that's the scene. <laughs> yeah, I want to I want to talk the soundtrack here cuz from the moment he he leaves Frank and starts talking to him, it's just like this crazy series of like electric guitar riffs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it sounds like a band's next door. Right? And <laughs> so the tone I get from this scene just from the scene is that like it's serious and it's somber and like Carl's made this decision to kill Doyle. So Frank doesn't have to. So Frank doesn't become him or Frank doesn't go to hell. And, uh, you know, and it, it seems like a, a really almost solemn moment in that like, he's doing this terrible thing because he feels he has to. 
And it's just like, (laughs) (laughs) these people still don't believe that he's going to kill somebody, even as he's holding a sharpened lawnmower blade. I know the guy that chopped his mom's head off and he's sitting there with a sharpened lawnmower blade. And he's like, what you want, Carl? What's going on, Carl? (laughs) Right. Yeah. So there's a lot, uh, there's a lot going on in the scene. I, I'm not still quite sure what, uh, Doyle, was was getting at i don't know if he legitimately just did not think that he was gonna do it even though you know he he alludes in the past like you know people don't just end up in mental hospitals like for that you know yeah so he he whether i forgot whether he knows that he's a murderer or not but uh he at least suspects it and just no resistance I don't know if he's so cocky that he thinks like nothing's going to happen, even though the dude's holding a lawnmower blade. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I like what you brought up Jack about the reason behind why he kills him. Uh, Obviously it's clear that he wants to protect Carl or protect Frank from Doyle, but he definitely does want to protect Frank from himself. Yeah. So I thought that, I thought that was pretty deep. Yeah. What'd y'all think of this? I like how he kills him too. Like the, Jesus the way, Christ, no, the would. way it's filmed is like intense. Like he just kind of stands him. He goes, "What the fuck, Carl?" And just bam, what that and sounds. like it's like silent, and he just hits him again. Just bam, and you're like, Jesus! Like it's powerful. the sound of him fucking cutting his head sounds like a fucking watermelon. Yeah, it's like it's not gory or anything, but it's intense. It was a really well done. Yeah, uh, there was that moment of kind of dark comedy i guess you can say he's on the phone yeah so before he kills doyle he's like you know how do you die how do you get the police here and doyle's like you know you dial 911 and you should probably request an ambulance or a hearse and then he kills doyle goes to the phone dials 911 says i you know i was told i should order a ambulance and a hearse <laughs> Hi, my name's Carl. I just killed Doyle. Um, yeah. He said that I should probably get an ambulance or a hearse as well. Yeah. <laughs> and she asked him, are you sure he's dead? And I reckon so. Um, I hit him with a lawnmower blade twice in the head. <laughs> Two good whacks. <laughs> also, I don't know why. I don't know why, but I was kind of disappointed that he killed him with a lawnmower blade and not a sling blade. That's what I thought. I thought he was going to get they a mess sling that up? blade. But- some people call it a lawnmower blade. I call it a, a lawnmower blade. <laughs> I don't know. It just didn't go as full circle with it not being a sling blade. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that would have been a little too on the nose. You think so? I, I think so. I felt like there were already a lot of moments that were pretty on the nose. Like when he, when he goes to Vaughn and... Uh, Tells him like Frank's a good kid. That boy lives in his heart. It's a big place to live. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? Like, well, <laughs> everyone like, knows he's gonna kill Doyle too, and they're just like, well, there goes Carl. Are you like a? <laughs> are you Shel Silverstein now, dude? <laughs> oh, at the end of this movie, uh, it has Carl back at the mental hospital, and he uh, there's another inmate who's telling him these horrific stories. Uh, the same inmate from the beginning of the movie when it first shows Carl in the mental hospital who is also telling him horrific stories 
And Carl finally stands up to this inmate and says that he's not going to listen to him anymore. And the last shot is Carl looking out the window. Um, I think smiling. But I but he's really always kind of smiling. Yeah, he's yeah. always kind of smiling. So I guess with the, the total... Okay, so back to Mike's original description. This is a movie about uh, Carl learning to stand up to the mental hospital bully. <laughs> that's that's absolutely accurate just just a few twists and turns along the way couple ups um, and down so before we we get to the portions where we kind of uh do the usual rigmarole of ranking it and talking about answering questions what what are your impressions now that we've kind of covered the plot in its totality like what what do you think now um, well I'll, i guess i'll go first the the thing i took away from this movie is a question actually and that question is who is cutting Carl's hair? <laughs> That's a very good question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I didn't take much away from this movie. It, it's not a bad movie. It's just like it's weird. It's a good movie, but I I didn't find myself. I I laughed a lot, but I laughed at things I probably shouldn't. Like, yeah. But it. I don't know. I I'm glad we're moving on from this movie. You guys are <laughs> yeah. all high. I thought this was a phenomenal movie. June, please, please tell us a little bit more. I'd love to hear why. And not being facetious, I actually want to know why you liked it. I'll like, take the facetious part. <laughs> <laughs> like there were so many, so many moments that that had a lot of depth to it. You know, Big Fish is our currently ranking best movie ever. You know, there, it was a collection of scenes, but there there wasn't too much to think about. This sling blade, I think, promoted uh, a a lot of deeper thought, and uh, I don't know, man. I was it it held my attention through through the whole movie, and it was good to see everything kind of uh, come come together in a way. It 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 does get full circle, especially you know that last that last scene. You kind of see that Carl has talking about his his story arc kind of concluded. Right. Well, in a fucked up way, he has redeemed himself. Mm-hmm. He was able the to. Best he, could. he was able to confront his father, kind of get over the fact that he did something in his own past, and save somebody else's future. Yeah, like there, you know, there was yeah. just so much depth to that, and I, I thought it was very good. I will I agree; mean, it was very intelligently written. Like, it's yeah. a very good screenplay. I, I guess my takeaway is June. I agree, and I also disagree, in that it felt deep. It was thoughtful. There are some parts of it I loved. I thought a lot of characters were great. I feel like it, it was an objectively good movie, but it was not an enjoyable movie. Yeah. It was it was and not not even enjoyable. I just didn't find it interesting. Like I felt like it was a, a higher brow version of like weird church movies where you just get bludgeoned over the head with some weird moral. Um <laughs> It felt like books you were forced to read in high school in that, like, oh, wow, look at all of this, like, depth and analyze all these things. But, like, it, it to me, it just felt like it failed to engage, which, yeah, I, I, I felt like it was, well, I'd also say it felt like it was on the nose at times. Like Shane mentioned, it felt like it, it, it piled it on, if that makes sense. Um. Going forward, we like to answer some questions from our listeners. And by that, I mean questions I find about the movie on Yahoo Answers. This one is from Bob uh, one decade ago. Hi, Bob. 
what what disease does Carl Childers have in Sling Blade? I have to write a research paper on the movie and the disease he has, but the problem is ellipses. I don't know what he has, exclamation point, exclamation point. Can anyone help, please? If I, if I would like to take this one. Carl actually does not have a mental illness. He only has lockjaw. <laughs> he has lockjaw and poor <laughs> posture. On a, on a slightly serious note, I think um, he may not have like a... I, I, I strongly suspect that his mental disabilities don't come from any kind of hereditary thing. I think it was just the result of his abusive childhood. Next question from Donald G. Asked under the category sports, outdoor recreation, <laughs> hunting. <laughs> What is the difference from a Kaiser blade and a sling blade, or are they the same? Oh, my fucking God. Who wants to take this one? I, I think it depends on which folks you ask. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, from Movie Maniac at ymail.com, which movie is better and why? Sling blade or Forrest Gump? <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's, the, what's the correlation? <laughs> <laughs> Not seeing a common thread. Well, they're both from the South. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I think Forrest Gump was hands down better. I'd like to read to you this answer from Anonymous. Sling Blade is better. Forrest Gump appeals to everyone, but the story isn't really unique. I love Carl Childers. Billy should have won every kind of award for that picture. While I'm at it, remember it's to John Ritter. Amazement to Robert Duvall and kudos to Lucas Black. I'd like to point out this guy is offering amazement to a guy who had 30 seconds in this movie of sitting in a chair and mumbling. I know, mumbling and saying, hey, hey my boy. No kidding of mine. God, no wonder Yahoo Answers is dead. Right? <laughs> and then finally, this is a, a question to the forum from Anonymous two years ago. So this is a recent one. Who would win in a fist fight between Forrest Gump <laughs> and... And that dude from Sling Blade that likes French fried taters with mustard on him. <laughs> it was in a fist fight. <laughs> you add weapons into the mix, man, and you know you give an edged weapon to Carl oh, Childers, man. It's game over. So, with those questions answered, uh, maybe just some random question or uh, notes about the movie. So, it had a, a small budget of one million, which probably explains why they, they had no budget for a soundtrack. Um, <laughs> But it's almost universally regarded as a success. It grossed $24 million, which is probably several billion in 2020 dollars. It's, uh, it won Oscars. It's so, yeah. So is this the first movie we've reviewed that actually won Oscars for something? God, I, I hope not. So it won for Best Adapted Screenplay, and Billy Bob Thornton got nominated for Best Actor, which honestly I think is deserved. He, he was a great actor. With that, with that stuff said, what we like to do now is go to the moment where uh, we re-rank all these movies. We, we state where this falls in all of our um, relative rankings. So let's start with you, June. Where do you rank this movie? So I guess this isn't the popular belief in the room here, but uh, I had a lot of struggle based on whether this would top Big Fish or not. Whoa. Oh. Yeah, I thought it held a candle to it, but what drove my decision in the end was I walked away from Big Fish genuinely having had fun. Um, so I'm going to put Sling Blade at number two. I see. Ooh. Better than Sleuth, huh? Yeah, I think I think it was. Mm, interesting. Mm. 
Shane, where do you put it? This is a weird one because obviously, as you heard through this whole thing, I was very conflicted. But um, I, it's a good movie. But yeah, if I never saw this movie, I'd still be okay. I'm gonna put it below Maltese Falcon for me last. Interesting. What about you, Mike? Um, I had more fun talking about this movie in this podcast than actually watching this movie. <laughs> this movie definitely goes straight to the bottom. Not even going to think about it. Did not think it was very good last. You know, and on, um, I don't know that I rate it that harshly, but I put it behind Maltese Falcon ahead of Touch of, Kit, Touch of Evil. So number five for me of the, the, I suppose, seven reviewed now. Yeah, I'd say in our defense, it's not like we're saying like Fast and Furious was better than Sling Blade. We're literally raking it against the Maltese Falcon. Now, now hold on. You rank your movies. I'll rank mine, all right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so you got, I think you got to look at the lenses, right? Like, there are phenomenal movies that are not fun or enjoyable in by definition. Yeah, but like Apocalypse Now is not a fun movie. (laughs) I, so. I feel like I did a disservice by making fun the criteria, though it is important. That's that's why Big Fish is number one and Sling Blade is not. But this was a well-constructed movie. It was an intelligent movie, but it's not like I can think of a lot of plenty of movies that like are like that, but they're not engaging, right? Yeah. Like you can't say that Apocalypse Now is not engaging. Yeah, there's a difference between a movie that's not fun and a movie that's just a slog. Yeah, I'd I'd say some of this was a slog. Yeah, and I I guess that you know that drives my decision uh, versus this movie versus Big Fish. Um, it's a tough uh, movie. <laughs> yeah, and I I also I also so, want to say you don't need to be deep to be good. Yeah, well I guess that's the thing. I I walked out of Big Fish saying wow. <laughs> And yeah. Sling Blade, there was no wow, but uh, you know, I still thought it was phenomenal. He just went, mm-hmm. I mean, in the interest of progressing, let's let's talk about whether we recommend watching this movie. Um, Shane, do you recommend watching this movie? I think this is going to be my first one that I say, like, you don't need to see this movie. It, if you see it, it's great. It's a good movie, but I'm not going to tell you to go see it. Mike? Um, this might be a little surpri- surprising, but I do recommend watching this this movie only if you're going to discuss it with your friends later on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> June, do you recommend watching this movie? I do. If for nothing else than Billy Bob Thornton's performance. It was it, that was a really good performance. So my my recommendation is skip this. Like Shane said, there's some <laughs> movies that are that are tough to watch, just like the older ones, but they're worth watching as kind of like a historical relic to see the influence they have on modern movies. I don't know. I, I like discussing the the difference in opinions we have here because I really feel like it's it's kind of a fundamental thing that like this was a good movie that just was not engaging. It meandered for two and a half hours. At times it just felt like what today we'd call Oscar bait. Um, uh, it felt on the nose at times. That, that's, that's my stance. All right, what, what, are, what are we reviewing next week, June? So next week's movie is 1999's The Straight Story. 
Again, have no idea what that's about. Oh, boy. Well, it could be interesting. I, I hope I'm pleasantly surprised. But anyway, with, with all this in the books, with the rankings done and the recommendations issued, that's the end of this podcast. Or some people call it podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> some people call it podcasting. I call it podcasting. <laughs> <laughs>